and that's the encouragement for us. Christ is our hope. Christ is the high priest that offers sacrifice on our behalf, and that sacrifice was once and for all. God made a promise. He, kept, he keeps it. And we have assurance that he will bring us to glory. Well, let's pray. Have thy own way in me, Lord. This is the desire and prayer of each heart tonight, to this afternoon. Lord, we want you to have your way in our life. We want to deny ourselves. We want to humble ourselves and follow you. Lord, we have promises in your word, and Lord, we, we know um, you purpose it this way, Lord. You, you promised, and you are faithful to keep your promise. So help out your people, Lord. Help us to persevere until the end. And all the glory and honor will be to Christ. Amen. Today we are in Hebrews 6, um, and we're going to be looking at the certainty of the promise of God. I did not come up with that title. If you have the ESV, that's what they have here from 13 to 20. Um, I copied the title. Uh, but I'm going to pick up in verse 9 so we can um, have a little uh, context. Um, and my goal here today uh, for all of us is to understand the Word of God and apply the truth we find, we, we find in the Word of God um, to help us live our life. And I was reading this and I, I was thinking, we went uh, through the tulip with the children um, and you can look at this as the P in tulip, the, the perseverance of the saints. We are going to persevere. We are commanded to persevere until the end. And God is the one like working in us to persevere until the end. Um, so let's, let's read verse 9. And uh, though we speak in this way, so before I explain this, the author started a warning. He started an admonition in chapter 5, 11, And like he was telling them, you are becoming dull of hearing. And um, you, uh, you need milk. Um, you, you, don't, you cannot take the solid food. And at this portion, he's coming into the, he's drawing the conclusion. He's coming to an end. Um, but, and he says, um, Though we speak in this way, which way? If we go back to verse um, 8, actually verse 7 and 8, um, for the land who has drunk the rain, what land? So he's talking about land, and in particular, a specific type of land, which represents a group of people. Um, so verse 7, 8 they are explaining verses 4 to 6. They are a parable to explain what happened to a group of people. And, uh, but this type of land is, is, is different. There are two types of land. We, we, we saw it last time. There are two groups of people, like, in, like generally two groups of people in, in the world, um, the Christians and the non-Christian, the people of God 
and the people who are not of God, uh, the um, children of light versus children of darkness. So we, we have, um, like, all, all throughout the Bible, we have this dynamic. Like, we have the wheat and the tares. Like, last week, Brother Chris was preaching, and the gospel was preaching, and people, they, there are two kinds of reaction. Those who are destined for uh, eternal life, they receive it with joy. But there's another group, they were, like, stirring um, strife, and they were reviling the Apostle Paul. Um, so there was always, like, two groups, okay? And this is what's happening here. We have a group of people, they are falling away, okay? And um, verse 9 says, even though we speak in this way, even though we're speaking about this group of people who are falling away, um, but in your case, beloved, so he's calling them beloved. So the, uh, uh, they are loved by God. Usually when you see this, it's like you are loved by God. We feel sure of better things. Um, so, and, and the rain, like you said, the land that drank the rain, the rain can be, is, 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 is a representation of all these experiences those people had in verse 4 to 6. They were enlightened. Um, they have tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared the Holy Spirit. They tasted the, good, they tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. All this is represented by the rain. Um, they are blessings. But... You see this type of land here? Um, it produced thorns and thistles, all right? Thorns and thistles uh, represent, representing them falling away. Um, and he says uh, this, this land is worthless, meaning no real value. They have no worth in, in, in the eyes of God. And what would happen with such a land? Its end is to be burned. Uh, end of verse 6. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 8. Um, yeah, and its end is to be burned. So though he speaks in this way, though he speaks that there is a group of people that they look like Christians. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. They have the lingo. Like, they do all these activities like we do in church, but they, they are not the real deal. They, they're fake. Um, so in their end, they going to be burned. Um, and this passage is kind of analogous to the parable of the sower, right? We have four types of soil, and if you think of um, the third type of soil um, in Matthew thirteen twenty, as for what was sown in rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word of God, immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, and does for a little while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word of God, immediately he falls away. And falling away in the book of in the context of the book of Hebrews means they went back to Judaism. They went back to the old covenant, right? Um, and that's that's a dynamic. I've, I've been now. It's like I'm like a broken record, right? I'm like. The book itself is like, don't give up, persevere in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not go back to the old covenant. That's the message, the central message in Hebrews. And, and those people, they actually went back. Um, why? Because of persecution. Chapter 10 gives you like what they were like suffering, what they were going through. Um, and these people, they hold Christ up to contempt. Um, verse 6 says, um, Herod... He, holded, he, he held Jesus um, 
scolded. He held Jesus to contempt um, and mocked him. Luke 23, verse 11. The word contempt means um, to hold something to a knot. Uh, that word knot is what we sing in this um, uh, in the hymn, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me. That word not means nothing. So if you translate that hymn, you will say, everything means nothing to me except you, Lord. Um, so it's like these people, they, Christ means nothing to them. They were following him. So you picture it this way. They hear the gospel. Yes, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want, Jesus is the real deal. And then persecution, sufferings, attacks against the faith. And, um, and yet they turn around and say, you know what? Um, I'm, not, I'm out of here. I, I don't want to do this thing an, anymore. Making a fool out of themselves. So they turn back, they're back on Jesus Christ. And doing this, they prove that Christ has no worth for them. Um, um, the name of Jesus Christ is blasphemed because of them, like we read in, in Romans um, 2. The name of God is blasphemed among, among the Gentiles because of you. Um, so the author is like, okay, even though we're talking this way, uh, you guys are the separate group. So two groups, one who is falling away, but another one who is uh, not falling away or he says, um, we are sure of better things, things belonging to salvation. Um, and he gives the why, he's, he gives the reason why he's sure. Verse 10, for God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And that you still do is the context of even though you're receiving persecution, you still like you're pressing on, you serving the saints, you loving them. Um, so they show that they they have the love of God in their life because um, how can you love God whom you have not seen and do not love your brother whom you see, right? Um, so it's like they show love um, for the brethren, they serving them, we um, in despite. Um, in spite of persecutions. Um, so these two groups, like, you know, um, one group is they show the fruit of the Spirit. Love is one of them. And patient, like they endure like through, patiently through the persecution, uh, to the persecutions. Um, the other group, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, even though they, were, they had light and they partook in the Spirit, but it never says they... They were indwelled by the Spirit. It never says, um, or like the Word of God dwell in them richly. They, they kind of, like I said, they in the church like everybody else, but they're not the real deal. But this group, they show, they show their, uh, their, 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 uh, that they have uh, the Spirit of God by the fruit they produce. Love is one of them um, here. Um, they show love for the saints. And yet, God is not unjust as to overlook your work. Um, he, there is a saying in Haiti, um, I don't know how to, I'm just going to translate it word for word. It's like, they used to say, God will change the shirt of those who sweat for him. It's like, it's like God is not overlooking your work. It's like he, um, 
he, 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 t- he takes note and, and come to your rescue uh, because he cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So that's the, that's the assurance the Christian has, that God, like, he's, he's, he cares for you. He will change your, your sweaty shirt and give you a new one, you know. Uh, hopefully, hopefully some people, like, they translate it better than me, but, but God cares uh, for, the, for our labor, God cares for, um, yeah, when we go through, like, sacrificing time and, and whatever we have to help a brother, to help the church. Um, I was telling Brother uh, um, Jason last night, like, I was so encouraged when they were living in temple and driving, like, an hour and a half, or almost an hour and a half, every Sunday. I'm like, I need to outdo this Christian. Like, they, who do you think they are? Like, they're they driving every day, and I'm, I'm, like, 20 minutes away. Sometimes I'm five minutes late. I'm like... And they there before me, but um, that is an encouragement. Um, and the Lord will not overlook that. The Lord will will uh, bless that. Um, like the uh, um, bring your uh, bring your two fish and uh, and five loaves, and He will multiply it. So, verse ten: For God is not unjust; there is no injustice in God. God is the God of justice. And he will repay each and every one of us according to what we have done. Um, verse um, 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have a full assurance of hope until the end. So one of the most uh, stimuli or catalysts in the in the Christian life is um, is when you show um, earnestness um, because the result is like you're going to have assurance of faith. I think that's the idea here. Um, so it's like you look at yourself and you're like, okay, am I in the faith? Sometimes you look at yourself in the wrong way. You're like, hey, I'm, a, I'm doing great today. I, I'm performing well in the Lord because I read my Bible. Like, I, I pray three times today. And this is a ditch not to fall into. Like, you look at yourself and look at your performance and think, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm doing these things. They are good. We are called to read our Bible. We are called to, um, yeah, to pray and, and spend time with the Lord, work in the field of the Lord. But sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, evangelize today or this week. Um, I'm good. I remember our church, um, the church we came out of in Florida, they had to go through some reforms, but they, they had an accountability uh, paper. And like, did, how many times did you read your Bible this week? Oh, I, did, I missed Friday. Okay, like, so six out of seven. Um, did, you, did you go to evangelism Saturday? No. Okay, like five out of seven. Like, and that became like the way people like test the walk in the Lord. And it became legalistic. Like, uh, I had seven out of seven. You had five. I'm better than you. So this is the ditch not to fall into. But um, what he's saying, um, the earnestness to have a full assurance is like you look at yourself and examine yourself and see if you are in the faith. And you want to press on. You want to persevere. Um, You may have um, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, um, 
in the faith. You want to see fruit in your life. Not to boast or not to be proud, but Lord, I want to know I'm not running in vain. Paul says, I went, uh, I went to Jerusalem to meet with the others, not because I didn't need their approval, but it's because I wanted to make sure I'm not running in vain. So sometimes we need to do some self-evaluation. Uh, Lord, what is my motive for, for doing this? And, and that, you, you do it, and it helps you have, um, what the Bible says here, um, full assurance of hope. Like, okay, Lord, I'm not deviating from the way I'm in your will, and I'm pressing on because, yeah, you, it's, it's, it's a self-examination that we all need to do to see if we are in the faith. So, and the author desired that each one of them to show that same earnestness, that desire to serve, that desire to press on, and um, to evaluate that fruit they have so that they can have hope and hope until the end, the end, when Christ returns. Verse 12, why? Why do they have to do this? So that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So he's saying that you need to do that to not be sluggish. You remember uh, in, five, in chapter 5, 11, he says you are lazy, like you, you, have, you have a problem to hear the word of God. But you have, you have this example um, and this, um, those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. That's pointing to chapter 11. We have all the saints of the Old Testament. Um, they obtain their promise through faith. So it's like you have witnesses. You have examples. Um, so don't be sluggish. Don't slack. Um, Look at Abraham, look at um, Samson, look at Gideon, look at all these people. Um, so we look at, sometimes we look at other brothers and that encourages us, right? Um, uh, I remember um, when I first got saved, I was on fire for the Lord, I had the zeal. And, um, you know, I was, I mean, I grew up in church. I knew enough, but it's like when I'm like, oh, there is, you know, the doctrine of grace, and there is like uh, Calvinism and things like that. And, and, but I was so on fire. I was sending everybody to hell. I was uh, talking to this, um, to, uh, I was talking about this uh, yesterday with uh, the Tackers. It's like, show me your food. No food? Oh, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. Like, it's, it's, we are on fire sometimes, but, uh, but, over the years, the Lord kind of help us, and we show more love and, and, and patience and kindness to others. But we need to keep um, the flame. We need, to, uh, we need not to be sluggish, um, be earnest, and imitate those who, through faith, um, obtain the promises. And those promises are for this group of people, the one that are being saved, the one that are, they, they persevering until the end. All right. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Um, 
before we go like further, I want to um, note this. Like in ancient Israel, when someone was taking an oath, it's, it was different than what we have today, right? Today, you, you want to do like a deal with someone, like you're buying a house, you're buying a car, you have what? You have a contract. I put my signature at the bottom left, you put yours at the bottom right, and that's uh, how we sign a contract. Or even this day, you don't have to be in person, you have DocuSign, you know, and you send, hey, I send you this document, sign it, and the computer generate your signature and send it across. <clears throat> Sorry. But in those days, like back in the days, like people, they would take an oath and they would swear by something greater than them. Um, so, and they, they seal it with the, their word. So it's the same thing here. In God, the, the nature of this oath that God made to Abraham, he gave him his word. And he sealed it with something. And we, let's read um, verse, what is it? Yeah, next verse. For people swear by something, uh, verse 16, sorry, swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes, and oath is final for confirmation. It's like, I'm giving you my word, and I, I'm swearing. I, not in a bad way, but I'm taking this oath to guarantee that I'm going to do what I promise uh, that I would do. Um, and this passage for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Verse 14, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. You guys know where that is taken from? Genesis 22, verse 18. Genesis 22. You can turn there with me. I'm sorry. 22. Actually, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said. So he says the angel of the Lord. And the, the, the author of Hebrews says God. But usually when we read the, the angel of the Lord, who do you think? It's, it's a, what the Bible calls theophany or Christophany. So we think the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. So here you have a glimpse like there is the Trinity there. Just, it's not fully revealed, but you have like Christ. Usually we think it, um, we, we can be assured he's the angel of the Lord. But he says, um, by myself. It cannot be two people. It's the same God because beside God, there is no other true God. So verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offsprings all, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So that's the promise that is referred here. But throughout the life of Abraham, 
I, I wanted to read through Genesis a little bit. I don't know if time permits, but to show you what, um, what, ha- what happened in the life of Abraham. How did he get the promise? Back in Genesis 3, we have the fall. But there is a promise in, 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 in Genesis 3, verse 15. People call it the Proto-Evangelio. It's like the little gospel message. Um, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Genesis 3.15, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the promise that there is one day someone, the offspring of the, offspring of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. And we fast forward, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. The, the, the name Cain, uh, in a sense, it means uh, this is the one. So I think Brother Chris was uh, uh, explaining that. Sometimes we read these promises in, in the Bible. People didn't have this revelation that we have today. Oh, 4,000 years down the line, Jesus is going to be that promise. They, they took it right away. They think like, okay, I have Cain. That must be my offspring who's going to crush the head of the serpent. So the name Cain was like, he's the one. He's, he's the one that's going to crush. I think the name means spear, which is going to crush <clears throat> the head of the serpent. And Abel, his name means vapor, breath, something that's fainted. Like They didn't trust him too much, but Cain is the one. He's the firstborn, so they trusted him. But um, Cain murdered his brother. Abel was more righteous than he than he than him. So, and you see, like, no, it's not. Cain was not the one. And sin kind of multiplied and grew, and, and the earth was um, full of all kind of debauchery and debauchery and um, sin. Then after Abel died, verse twenty-five in. Genesis 24, uh, Genesis 4, verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son. He called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Cain was not the one. Maybe Abel would be the one, but Cain killed him. Seth is the one who's going to carry the promise of God, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And we have a lineage of people. They all fail. And in chapter 5, 21, there is this man, Enoch. He walked with God. Um, he fathered Methuselah for, after 300 years. And when he was 365 years, he was no more. The Lord took him. So he was not Enoch. Chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man. Noah is the, this is definitely the man that's going to crush the serpent, the head of the serpent, or that's going to accomplish the promise of God. 
What happened to Noah at, at the end of his life? At, at the end of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse um, 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank he drunk of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. He was so drunk that he didn't have clothes on, and one of his uh, grandson came and was, like, was laughing at him. That's the righteous man that was supposed to, you know, carry the promise of God, carry out the promise of God. So you see, like, man, failure after failure, failure after failure, um, and they couldn't do anything to save themselves. That, that's the nature of all mankind. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. God has had to step in. And that's when God came and promised Abraham. Um, he chose him. Um, <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go, for, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God has to in, had to intervene. He chose Abraham. He was Abraham back there. But who was he? An idol worshiper. He, was, he had little gods. Like he, he didn't know God. God had to call him out. The same way God called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. God had to call him. Nothing he had done, nothing uh, in good in him. He, I don't know. The Bible didn't say he was handsome or he was like strong or he was. Uh, but the Lord called him an idol worshiper. And God made a promise with him. Then Abraham, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, the Lord told me, I, I go. But he still, like, didn't know, like, this God. You see, like, throughout his life, you can see Abraham life, Abraham, Abraham's life as the Christian life, the Christian walk. Like you, you hear the gospel, yes, Lord, but you fall. Like he goes to Egypt, he lies about his wife, right? Um, and then he came back, and then in chapter 15, he, he was scared. Um, chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. What things? Things before that, chapter 14, um, Paul, um, Lot was captured by five kings, and Abraham went and rescued Lot. And he came back with all the spoil and all the men, but he was scared. Maybe those kings might come back again and kill me. So that's why he says, the Lord t told him, that verse 1, fear not. The Lord told him not to fear. Why? Because... I know like you came out of this battle. These kings, they might rally again and come after you. But fear not, because I am your shield. And God reminded him of the promise again. Your, your reward will be great. And Abraham, said, and Abraham said, oh Lord God, what would you give me for I continue childless? It's like, I might die, and if I die, I won't have any uh, offspring. Because I don't have any child. And he said, and Eliezer of Damascus will be the heir. Um, and God made a promise with him. 
in verse in chapter 22, that's when we have um, the final test where the Lord tested him and give me Isaac, your son. And, and then the Lord provided a, a ram cut in the thicket. And um, he, 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 God confirmed the oath. God confirmed the promise. I want to show you another aspect of that promise of God. Um, verse 7 in chapter 15. And God, actually, let, let's read uh, verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, the Lord talking to Abraham says, look, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to, to him, so shall your offspring be, offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of the, out, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he's like, Lord, give me a sign. I'm, I'm afraid, but you said you were my shield. I told him, no, no, don't worry. You're going to possess this land. Okay, Lord, give me a sign. How am I going to possess it? And um, the Lord says, uh, verse 9, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the bird in half. And when birds of praise came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Why did the Lord ask him to do that? So back in the days of, of Abraham, and I think after him, um, they had this way to uh, see the contract. We're going back to the contract, right? I say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And in, throughout the Bible, covenant is made with, like, blood. Jesus said, this is the covenant in my blood, that he shed his blood for us. But in those days, like, what they do, like, when you make a covenant, you take an animal, you cut it in half, you put one piece on the left, one piece on the right, and together you walk. And people, we have witnesses that would be like, okay, we, we have a guarantee that you will uh, fulfill your part of the covenant. So God said, okay, we're going to do that. We're going to uh, do a covenant and we're going to seal it with the blood. And Abraham like prepared the animals and lay them but verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So God gave him this sign, or this he was asking for, this covenant. But you see who walked through the pieces? He didn't say Abraham, because he says before that, a slumber, he was, he fell asleep. Only the fire went through the pieces, showing that God made the 
covenant with Abraham, but God made the covenant with himself. So God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're just going to be the beneficiary of that covenant. I am going to fulfill every, every aspect of that covenant. God is the one fulfilling every aspect of that covenant. God does the work, and Abraham receives all the benefits of this covenant. In, at Mount Sinai, it's different uh, because Moses sprinkled the, the blood on the people, and, and they replied, all these things we will do. There was a covenant. They, they need to obey the Lord. But this one, it's this covenant God and himself promised Abraham, I will fulfill my word to you. All right, going back to, to Hebrews 6. That was a long explanation in Genesis. Um, show you, I, I was trying to show you two ways that God says, I promise this, and it's me and my word. Um, Genesis 22, which is the direct quote here, but also since Genesis 15, the Lord showed him, I am the one who's going to fulfill this covenant with you, and you're just going to receive the blessings. And the oath, the Lord took the oath in his, um, in his name. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God promised or gave a guarantee to Abraham with the oath that he, that he made. Abraham believed the promise of God because God is the promiser. So when you have a contract, you have a promiser, and I think I said it right, and promisee. So the promiser is the one who promised like, to, to give the blessing, and the promisee received the blessing. And Abraham believed God. He says he believed God, and he was a, a Accounted to him as righteousness. God has sworn by his name. Why? It's a public declaration that, that to all creation that I will fulfill my promise to Abraham. I will keep my promise in, in blessing Abraham and all the nations in the world will be blessed through him. The first heirs of the promise were like Isaac, Jacob, and the people of Israel. But eventually, who are the actual heirs of the promise? We are. We are sons of Abraham when we have faith in Jesus Christ, right? Women's night, verse 5. Church. We can't change what God Verse 9. Let's, let's read verse 5. 
To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all have, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh. Verse 8 is the verse. This is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offsprings. So we are the offspring of God because we receive the promise of God by faith. We are the true offspring of Abraham. Right? So, verse 17 again. So when God desired to show more, convincing, more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God is the one um, guaranteed the oath, and we, by faith, receive that promise. We are the one. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe on him, you are the heirs of the promise. You are the true heirs of the promise. The purpose of God what does that mean? It means the mind of God or the plans of God. God is at the center of history and he's the one orchestrating everything. A couple of verses um, we have here, Psalm 33 verse 11. Let's see what the Lord says about his purpose. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Some translation says the purpose of God stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So the purpose of God are the plans that he has. And it says, the Bible says, it stands forever. It's eternal. Okay. Isaiah 46, 10, the next verse. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my purpose or my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The Lord will accomplish all his purpose. What are the purposes of God? One of the famous verse for us Christian is Ephesians 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before him. So this is the purpose of God. God want to choose a people for himself so that they can be blameless and holy, set apart for him. According, I'm sorry, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God purpose, or he plans, like no one told him anything. Um, like we sing, um, uh, who has given counsel to the Lord? No one. God chose to save some. He predestined them before the, before the foundation of the world. Why? Because he wants to. According to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the, forg- the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. So God wanted to redeem a people for himself, and he chose to do so before the foundation of the world. And he says, my purpose will not fail. They shall stand forever, which is what drives us to that certainty that we have in Jesus Christ. So I, I show you all this, like the oath, the promise given, given to Abraham, the purposes, like he said, the unchanging character of the promises of God. Why? So that we can have assurance. So that we can continue. So that we can persevere until the end. Verse 18 He guaranteed it with an oath, verse 17, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This is the reason. God gave the ho- the, 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 this promise, I will bless you. And we, by faith, we receive that blessing and now we can be sure that God will keep us to the end. Why? Because his purposes are unchangeable. His character is unchangeable. We are on the solid rock. We are on Jesus Christ. We are kept safe. Abraham was kept safe, not because of anything he had done, but because God purposed it this way. God chose Abraham to save uh, the world or to bless the world and his offspring like the, the Israelite they were chosen God says in Isaiah I chose you um, to make my name known all this is because God has this plan before the foundation of the world to save the people for himself and he will keep us regardless of what happened regardless of persecution regardless of discouragement Verse 18 again, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, the word of God is truth. God cannot lie. If God would lie, he would cease to be God. He will cease to be eternal. He will cease to be holy, holy, holy. So that's the first thing, the two unchangeable things. The first one, God cannot lie. Numbers 23 says, God is not a son of man that he should lie. 
we lie all the time. We, uh, we, I remember um, I was in college, and I told this guy, yeah, I'll meet you at 2 p.m. Shirley was saying that I have a problem to like, get some places on time. I got there at 4.30, and I gave the guy my word. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come. And I, he called me, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. Two and a half hours later, hey, here I am. What happened? Um, I give an excuse. I don't remember the excuse. But God is not like us. God is not a son of man that he should lie. His word is sure. His promise, they're unfailing. His nature. The second thing is nature. The two unchangeable things, his word, but also it's because of his nature. God, he never changed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So those are the two things that, yeah, God cannot fail his promises. All right. He said, we have fled for refuge. The Christian, they run to, Je- to, to Jesus Christ for refuge. In the uh, Pilgrim Progress, there was this warning, hey, the city is going to be burned up. The, the fire is coming. And um, that's why a Christian left going to the celestial city so he can find refuge with the king. So we run to Jesus Christ to have refuge. Verse 18 again. We can have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The hope set before us. We know that we are not um, of this world. We're going to the Canaan, the celestial city, the Canaan of God. So we can have hope. Abraham has hope. Remember, he was, Lord, give me a sign. Okay, I will give you offspring. Your offspring will possess the land. What happened? Um, Ten years later, Sarah's, he says, um, I cannot have children anymore, so give me children by Hagar. They were trying to help God. But, but, but God says, no, 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 no. Your offspring should come from you and from Sarah. But he had to hope because he was an old man. How can an old man, like an old woman, like give birth to a, to a child? That's the hope he had. he had. He hoped in the Lord. And I think the verse says is he waited patiently. 25 years after the promise, that's when Isaac was born. That's the hope. That's the, that's the uh, God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Verse 19 is a symbol or like it's a representation or explanation of what happened on the Day of Atonement. What would happen on the Day of Atonement? One time a year, the high priest will go into the holies of holies. Okay? And behind the curtain is that 
holies of holies, when he would enter and sprinkle the mercy seat with blood, the blood of the goat or the bull of the sacrifice. So the author of Hebrews is basically saying like, okay, this promise is God gave it to you through Jesus Christ who performed the ministry of a high priest when he entered the holies of holies. Verse 20 says that where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is a high priest, not like the Aaron priesthood, but according to the order of Melchizedek. He went into the Holy of Holies. He says, on, on the day he was crucified, it is finished, and the veil of the temple split in two, ushering a new era for the Christian to go near to God. Hmm. Brother Reese was saying earlier that um, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, um, um, we have the, the wave of the like the wave of the li- of life. They like you know they come to you, but in Jesus you are um, you have an anchor. So Jesus is our anchor, regardless of what happened in life. Because why? He enters um, behind the veil. He enters the holies of holies to give us hope to give us stability, to give us steadfastness. Regardless of what happened in life, regardless of, I don't know what tomorrow may bring, may bring, but I have an anchor in Jesus Christ. He entered the veil. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Take off the boat on the, on the seashore. The wave comes and shake it, but the anchor keep it still. Jesus Christ is that anchor. He entered the veil, satisfying the wrath of God. We run to him for refuge, says in verse 18. We run to him to, uh, for refuge. And that's the encouragement for us. Christ is our hope. Christ is the high priest that offers sacrifice on our behalf, and that sacrifice was once and for all. God made a promise. He, kept, he keeps it. And we have assurance that he will bring us to glory. Romans 8.28 the golden chain of salvation. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Christian, all things is working together for good because God is the one who made the promise. God is the one who made the oath that he will fulfill the promise. And he saw it by nothing else. He saw in his name or saw by his name. God is the one who's going to bring us to glory. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Before the foundation of the world, God foreknew you. The word knowing is like intimacy. God knows you intimately. 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And God got to make sure like you do that. He gives you Jesus Christ as the anchor of your soul to keep you steady so you can do that. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. God predestined you, he called you, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is, an un- this is unbroken. No one can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. From the predestination until glory, God will keep you. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a foreigner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In God's plan and design, God called Abraham unconditionally, if you think of the you in Tulip, unconditional election. God chose him out of a pagan worshiping city. God did not owe Abraham anything. God only owed himself the fulfillment of his own plan same for you and me. God chose us not because of anything done, good we have done, but because he, he was so pleased to do so. And God sealed his covenant with an oath taken with himself. God had purpose to carry out this plan of redemption through Abraham, and here today we are the heirs of the promise. And we have this hope. We have this anchor. Because Christ is the one who is the guarantee of that hope when he entered the veil and offered sacrifice of himself. He died on the cross, and on the third day he rose again. So we can have assurance, we can have hope because God is the one orchestrating all of these things. God is the one from the, before the foundation of the world who orchestrated our salvation, our redemption through Abraham, all throughout history, through the people of Israel. Even though they were unfaithful, the Lord went back and called them back to him. And Jesus was born under the law, kept the law perfectly, and pay our ransom on the cross. We run to him for refuge, and he keeps us. He gives us hope. He gives us an anchor for our soul. We can persevere until the end. We can trust him. Amen.
We're going to transition into the, Lord the Lord's table. When I was doing this, I was reading through John chapter 6.